This unnamed woman of Jesus' parable is a force to be reckoned with. She is so persistent that the judge fears her pestering is going to land him with a black eye. That's what the Greek is here for what we hear translated as wearing him out. It literally means to give him a black eye. What an image. This is what Jesus offers as inspiration on how we are to pray and guidance on how not to lose heart. And the parable seems at least reasonably straightforward at first. Harangue God relentlessly and eventually you will get what you want. Right? We're the widow, and God is this very annoyed judge. We have our roadmap. The one problem is that it doesn't feel like this matches up with the rest of the picture that Jesus paints all throughout the Gospels. One of a compassionate God who wants nothing more than justice and good life for all her people. And it also doesn't line up with so many people's lived experience. Some people pray endlessly for what is right and good and still turn up empty-handed and pushed down by the powers that be in this world. So what gives? If the judge in this parable isn't a one-to-one, an easy substitute for God, then what are we to do with it? Well, I've been wondering if maybe we've got the starting question wrong. When we talk about prayer, I think it it can often be tempting to focus in on what prayer will do for us what we can get out of it, or or what we can get God to do for us. But I'm wondering if those two bits of encouragement Jesus offers there before the parable, if, if that's where we need to turn our attention, focusing instead on how praying always is connected to being full of heart. What if the cranky judge is a red herring? Or maybe more likely, at least in my mind, what if we are both the widow and the judge, depending on the day? I really don't want this to be the case. (laughs) But the idea catches me. It it makes me grit my teeth a little bit, and, and it leaves me thinking that it's probably something I ought to wrestle. How can we start with that first What would it mean to pray always? How would we begin to practice that? I want to offer one way in that I saw just a few weeks back. Near the end of our pilgrimage to the Holy Land, we visited the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, or as we fondly referred to it, the other Church of the Resurrection. (laughs) Just because they were first, I mean, come on. 
It's hidden within this maze of the old city of Jerusalem. Both sides of the narrow, cobbled streets are just crammed with tiny shops. People selling vegetables and mountains of spices and loud toys and so many religious trinkets. You get the idea. Even following our guide, the way there to the church is dizzying at first. But if you take one strategic turn, you pop up into a plaza, and there it is, this massive church rising up before you. The spot where the church now stands wasn't always within the city. 2,000 years ago, Jerusalem was much smaller, and the walls were in a different place. And this land, where the church is, was in sight of the city. You could walk there, but it was outside the walls. It was a hill, a a scattering of caves. And it is believed to be Calvary, the place where Jesus was crucified and, and hardly a stone's throw away, the tomb, a cave, actually, where they believe he was buried. And people have been steadily making their way there almost ever since. The church was built and destroyed and built and destroyed again and again. And through it all, people have come. You can see evidence of these travelers inside the church. The the stone walls, these massive, thick stone walls, they're covered in tiny crosses. Marks carved in by pilgrims or for pilgrims, grateful to have made it all the way there, longing to to leave some outward sign that they did. To me, it, it felt like quite a journey to get there, even now in 2022. There was uh, round after round of security at different airports. There were so many hours on the plane. There was adjusting to the 10-hour time difference. And yet seeing these centuries-old carvings, I began to consider how many different shapes this pilgrimage could take. What it would have been to come by boat or over land, traveling day after week after month, to get there. I imagined what it would have been to, to be packing up our bags and our tents each morning and setting out again, hoping without the help of GPS, hoping that we were still going in the right direction, hoping that we wouldn't run out of provisions, hoping our bodies would be up to this journey. And then starting again, anyway, not knowing the answer to any of these questions. This, I think, is what it is to practice praying always. To keep from losing heart. To get up in the morning like that persistent widow and decide we're going to try again, to ask again. Not because God is some curmudgeon who will only be moved to action if we are horribly obnoxious pests. That part of the parable was describing the hard heart and indifferent spirit of the human judge. 
not of God. In the end, prayer is, well, I think it's at least as much about changing us as it is about convincing God of anything. God knows what is good, what is beautiful, what is just, and longs for it with us. But getting up each day and and choosing to direct our attention this way, to live in this stance of reaching for the holy, over time that softens our hearts. It changes how we live. At one end of the other Church of the Resurrection, past lots of little side chapels carved into the walls, You can turn a corner and go down a long, wide set of stairs. And it opens into a larger chapel, on the side of which is another long, steep set of stairs. Again, the walls are covered in these tiny crosses, the marks of pilgrims through the centuries. And there, several stories underground, is the Chapel of St. Helena, it feels, it feels more like a cave than a church. It's almost surreal to be so far underground. It is an ancient place of veneration where, according to tradition, Helena, Constantine's mother, discovered the true cross. But, but people have been showing up in prayer to this place for far longer Hidden away in the rock of the chapel, there is a carving from the second century. It is a simple drawing of a boat. It it looks like something you might fish in. There are oars hanging off the side. Below the boat are two words, which translate roughly as, God, we made it. I don't know who these pilgrims were, what happened to them. I don't know what came next or how they lived after that day. But those couple of words sound so full of heart to me. They sound like the words of people who have doggedly kept seeking. People who encounter a a new kind of light when they finally arrive. It makes me wonder what, what might change in me, in us, if we kept at it too. If we kept showing up. How we might keep from losing heart, yes, but but how we might have our hearts softened also, have them changed and filled to overflowing. God, we made it. These are the words of people who showed up again and again, who traveled for such a long time, not knowing if they would make it, They understood the challenge of the journey, that nothing was a given. And yet they kept paddling. They they kept trekking through the days and weeks and probably months until they finally set foot on that holy ground. 
This is what it is to show up in prayer. This is what we're aiming for. Not the expectation of same-day delivery of whatever it is we think we want, but rather the working assumption that this will be a practice lived out over a great long time. One that we keep taking up, keep giving ourselves to. The widow comes day after day longing for justice. And following her lead, we get to show up in prayer again and again, trusting that one day we will find ourselves full of heart and offering our own thanks. We keep showing up. And finally, one day we celebrate that, yes, God, we made it. <laughs>